2: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox and welcome to With Friends Like These Converts Edition. Some of us are given the gift of knowing exactly when our life changes. For Julie Raymeyer, that moment came deep in the desert.
3: There was there were really no humans in my awareness beyond uh, you know a few cars about 10 miles away at the bottom of the valley. And that sense of just being surrounded by this enormous space and the kind of quiet of that space, even when there was sound from the wind, there was a sense of um, the pace of change was geological, not human.
2: The story of how she came to that realization of her place in geological time is a conversion story of the most profound sort, not just a switch from one opinion to another, but from one conception of self to another. And of course, to understand the enormity of Julie's metamorphosis, we need to understand
3: where she began. So let's see. In the before time, well, I'm I was and still am uh, a science writer, um, and I'm my background is in mathematics. I went to graduate school at MIT in math, and um, you know I I did lots of stuff. I I built my own house, my own straw bale house. I was a professor of math and the classics at St. John's College, um, which I loved. And I ran a marathon. I was on a search and rescue team. Um, I have always been very connected to nature. My, the house that I built is outside Santa Fe, um, in a, in a little valley with a stream running through it. And it's surrounded by national forest. So uh, I could literally walk out my door and um, go for a hike of, you know, pretty much any length I wanted to. Um, I could have hiked to Colorado from my, from my front door. And then she got sick. At first, it was at a level that I could kind of manage. And then I gradually got worse and worse. Um and, in particular, I would suddenly get paralyzed um and basically my legs wouldn't work, and then sometimes it would be more than my legs, and I couldn't move much of my body um, so that was pretty um it was pretty terrifying and i but i you know I learned kind of tricks to manage it, and I for a long time was in a mode of sort of um keeping everything going in spite of it. Um, You know, I saw it as sort of like um, developing like fencing moves with one arm tied behind my back.
2: But eventually, Julie couldn't fence one-handed anymore. She couldn't do anything.
3: As I said, the, the illness came on gradually for me and I sort of didn't take it that seriously for quite a long time. And then I woke up one day and I was uh, paralyzed. I couldn't walk, and you know, hard to blow that one off. <laughs> so, um, particularly when it didn't just go away, which is what I initially expected. Um, so I I went to a neurologist, figuring, well, you know, uh, paralysis seems pretty neurological, <laughs> and um, staggered my way into his office. I could really barely walk at all um i was a I was quite a sight i mean i I could only walk with an enormous amount of groaning, and um every step was this uh Herculean feet <laughs> dragging my body into his office, and he did this pretty cursory examination. Basically, just sort of pushed on my legs and had me resist. That was really like pretty much all that he did. And then he told me that I had chronic fatigue syndrome. And I was like, "Wait a minute, fatigue? Like, yeah, I've been tired for a long time, but this isn't fatigue. I can't walk. You know, like <laughs> uh, I'm I'm actually paralyzed here. Did you not notice?" And and so then, but then I was like, "Okay, well." So what are the like, t- treatments or tests or specialists or, you know, what do I do next? And he had absolutely nothing to say.
2: To grant just
3: a bit of
2: fairness to this doctor, he had nothing to say because most of traditional medicine, as recently as five years ago, didn't have much to say. The standard treatment was to tell patients, Try to exercise a little more, while the attitude of the whole medical profession screamed, it's in your head. And CFS patients couldn't do much about it. It's a diagnosis with no test to take, no uniform physical markers, and no obvious cause. And that's what sets it apart from the sorts of diseases there are telethons for. About the same number of people live with CFS as live with lymphoma about a million and change. But people with CFS can't show you a slide of their problem, and there's no blood test to show they've gotten better. But whenever the scientific community leaves a vacuum, the internet is happy to fill it. And Julie may be a science writer, but she is also a 21st century human, and she could not resist consulting Dr. Google. With somewhat expected results.
3: After that, after that experience with the neurologist, then I like did what anybody would do. I I turned to Dr. Google <laughs> and um and read the little bit that there was to read about chronic fatigue syndrome, which was not very helpful really, um, and some of which was pretty frightening, <laughs> you know, realizing that um that there are a lot of people who don't ever recover and that it can be an absolutely devastating illness um you know many people are housebound or bedbound for years or decades um with no you know no treatments um i mean really it's like the the worst case scenario is kind of like worse than most people's worst nightmares you know being unable to tolerate light or sound or touch, Um, sometimes being unable to eat, unable to move, and being in a darkened room for decades, just suffering. I mean, gee, so. (laughs) I mean, it's still like there are patients I know in that state and it's just viscerally horrifying. so in any case, you know, I read the little bit that there was to read online and looked for doctors and found one uh in the bay area where I was at the time who ended up being this sort of uncomfortable combination of um in you know, a tooty fruity wacko and um, and real science which I didn't know what to make of. And and he gave me lots of supplements and did lots of tests and the supplements ended up doing little for me um and I found a few other doctors who were similarly some combination of um wacko and legit i was you know I was stuck in bed when I saw a headline in the New York Times about this. And I was just completely shocked. And it took quite a while before I could really sort it all out because I was just too sick. You know, it didn't seem plausible to me. In particular, you know, the biggest thing that I had learned was that I needed to be extremely tuned into my body and I needed to stop as soon as the thought, I'm a little tired, drifted through my mind. And they were saying exactly the opposite. They were saying, you know, get on a schedule. Doesn't matter how you feel. Gradually increase the amount that you do. And um, that's what will get you better. So it just went against everything that I had learned about my own illness. And, you know, I I had been in therapy for many years. Um, and it had helped me, you know, keep from losing my mind. But it didn't help me keep from losing my health and um so but you know at the same time like here i am a science writer i believe in science you know how it was this real challenge of like how do i put that together
2: and we're going to take a quick break to do some business With Friends Like These is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They've literally rethought every little detail of the socks we wear to make them way more comfortable. I wear them, okay, I can't say every day because I'm wearing clogs today and I don't wear socks with clogs, at least not very often. But I do wear Bombas all the time. They are my favorite no-show socks, which are the socks I wear with my running shoes. Um. You know, I think there's this weird trend to, like, have your socks show again, and my husband does that, and he wears bombas, too. He also swears by them. They are super comfortable. There's something about that arch kind of hugging your feet um, that, I don't know, maybe it's like, like a primitive thing that having your feet hugged makes you feel more secure. They do keep your feet cozy, and they help give back the most vulnerable members of the community. For every pair of socks you purchase, Bomba's donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bomba's customers has allowed them to donate over 34 million pairs of socks through their nationwide network of over 3,000 giving partners, and the impact is more powerful than ever. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes a small comfort that's especially important right now. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash friends. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot slash friends for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by KiwiCo. Parents, you may feel like your kid's summer vacation started way early if you've been at home together for all this time, but now actual summer vacation is here. But learning at home doesn't have to stop. And you can keep them busy. There is Kiwiko, And they can deliver an art class, a science class, fun class, right to your door. Now, I do not have children. I do, however, have three nieces and a nephew, and they are all the spawn of one person, my sister-in-law. So right now, she has had four children under the age of 13 at home, no school for four months, and she loves me. She loves me because I take care of these kids. KiwiCo has these projects that keep them busy. I don't get thank you notes from the kids, which, you know, I'm okay with because I never sent thank you notes as a kid myself, my sister-in-law. However, she is pretty grateful. Now, you can do your part to encourage the children in your life to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. And when they're finished, watch their confidence be as big as their smile. It can be hard to find creative and new things to do with your children to keep them busy and challenged, especially during these especially long summer days. KiwiCo does the legwork for you, so you can spend quality time tackling projects together at home. There are different crates for kids of all ages, so there's something for every kid on your list, and there's no commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time, because who knows, someday this will be over, although you still might want to send them crates. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There is something for every kid... And Kid at Heart at Kiwico. Get your first month free on select crates at slash friends. That's K I W I C slash
1: friends. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try on.
2: It wasn't that Julie abandoned science. It was that she felt science abandoned her. She decided to take a chance on what the CFS community calls the mold theory, which is based on the very real scientific fact that mold can make you sick.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the leap was really big with the mold theory. Um, It was really big because um, there really wasn't any science that I could find at that point to back it up. I mean, eventually I was able to dig up a little bit, but nothing that you know, is pretty remote from my experience. Um, really all I had to go on was the experience of other patients. And and those patients in some ways seemed very um, thoughtful and impressive, and in other ways crazy and unnerving (laughs) so um, so you know it was really like in going to the desert it truly was a leap of faith and mostly I didn't think that it was going to work so it was an interesting process getting to the point of being willing to do that even though I really mostly didn't think it was going to work. And it was a combination both of not having better options and absolutely needing something. And there was also a weird, almost sense of inevitability. Like, it felt like the decision was being made on a level that was independent of my rational processing about it. Like, you know, I I did my process of research and talking to people and analyzing what was being said and then chewing on it and going back and forth and thinking, you know, um, this is crazy. I, I can't possibly pursue such a ridiculous thing. And then thinking, oh, but, Um, here are the experiences other people have had and maybe it could be true for me too. And going back and forth, but it felt like the decision was being made on some deeper level um, that I just felt this pull. And part of it was a sense of like the, you know, it was a wonderful adventure. (laughs) Like the idea of being able to do something like that, even in the midst of being so sick, it was, it felt like a way of continuing to be me, like asserting my existence in the face of it all.
2: This ridiculous thing consisted of going to the middle of Death Valley. Yes, Death Valley in a borrowed car. With borrowed equipment, nothing that had been exposed to mold. The idea was to go and detox, and the test would be how she felt when she returned. It turned out, however, that the desert itself was the crucible,
3: and she was changed by it. So I was on the side of this valley, and the on the other side uh, was the Panamint Mountains that are. Um, completely bare and you can see the geology kind of written on the, on the flanks of the mountains, There streaks of different colors of the, of the different soils going across the mountains. And around me was just kind of a, a moonscape, like, you know, rubble and um, little bitty bushes. So it was, it was a real sense of just enormous spaciousness and kind of nothingness. But in that spaciousness and nothingness was a lot of beauty. And I was um pulled completely out of my life. My life had kind of fallen apart around me. My relationship, my primary relationship had ended. Um I was mostly unable to work. I was literally, you know, had nothing of my own around me. And uh Aloneness had always scared me a lot, but what I found was this incredible sense of peace and fullness in my life at that moment. I felt um you know all I had to do was these kind of very basic survival tasks, and everything else had fallen away and Throughout my life, I had taken my sense of myself from what I could accomplish. I'd always been really driven, and I'd had this belief that contentment would come from accomplishing my goals. But by that point, like the idea of accomplishing my goals <laughs> seemed just completely absurd. I mean, I was so sick. And just surviving really was all I could do. I had no idea if I would ever get better. Um, You know, I had this illness where doctors and science had nothing to offer. I was pursuing this idea that I thought was ridiculous. Um, It felt in many ways like kind of the, the world had failed me and I was just on my own. So in that context, to suddenly feel this sense of fullness and completeness and to be able to just be in that landscape and kind of take that spaciousness inside me and find that it was enough, that just being alive, not trying to accomplish anything not striving, not you know, working toward a goal or solving a problem, but just being that that offered contentment um that was that was really transformative for me.
2: This kind of revelation is freeing whenever and wherever it comes for Julie, letting go of her outward identity, her identification with her career. It allowed her to fully embrace trying the ridiculous, and it helped that the re-exposure section of the mold test Julie was doing suggested that she was, in fact, sensitive to mold. So she structured her life around not being around mold, (laughs) and she got better. She also found that coffee enemas, and yes, that is exactly what it sounds like, helped, and so she used those. And after her boyfriend had an extraordinary experience with a psychic healer, Julie thought, okay,
3: why not? And at the end of it, he said um, he recommended energy work, which I wasn't really clear on what that was. Um, so I came back to do the energy work. Again, why not? And it was, it was um, again, much like what you might do in a therapist's office. It, It had a little more, like, focus on the body than what I had experienced with a therapist. Um, But didn't seem, there was nothing about the energy work that seemed especially wacky to me. Um, And at the end of the session, he said, I'm not going to remember the exact words, but essentially, you're healed. Your mold reactivity is gone. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, right. So, you know, at that point I had gotten very much better, um, by avoiding mold, but when I was exposed to even very small quantities, then I got very sick. So I had to be careful about which buildings I went into and, you know, prepared any time to have to suddenly leave and that kind of thing. And, um, and so that evening I, um, you know, I told John about the experience and then we decided to test it and went into a building that, uh I couldn't tolerate, and I went in, and I initially felt like I felt the mold, I felt it in all the familiar ways, I could feel my legs starting to get weak, and I thought, Ah, oh, darn, <laughs> it didn't work but um but then i i I went to leave, and before I could get out of the building, I noticed it was a little better and um and i so I stopped, and I walked around, and I was actually okay, so it was really i mean, I was blown away <laughs> absolutely blown away by this, and frankly a little embarrassed <laughs> like the idea that you know a, a psychic would have such a profound impact on me i mean for one thing it it very much made it seem like well then you know, does that mean that my problem was psychological to begin with? Um, Which given all the, I mean, actually it was not an idea that I was completely close to. I mean, I talk a lot in the book about, um, you know, my own psychology and the kind of interactions that I see between psychology and illness on, you know, any number of different levels. Um, But particularly given the kind of wounding that I and, other patients have experienced around that from this from this terrible research and the attitude of doctors and all kinds of things. that was a pretty abhorrent idea at that moment. Um, but you know it like it it continued to to be better and um fundamentally, I just felt like, well, I'll take it. <laughs> you know I want to be better much more than I want to be dignified. I confess. I was drawn to Julie's story
2: by what seemed superficially like the biggest transformation. She was a mathematician, a science writer, who came to embrace mystical, unscientific forms of relief. But the more I turned her story over in my head, the more I realized that the radical break for Julie wasn't about exchanging science for not science— That exchanging a self defined by achievement and external markers for a simple truth. She is enough. We are enough. We are not our achievements. We simply are. And it's true that one outcome of that new idea was to free Julie to try new things and to get better. But when we caught up with Julie for this episode, it turned out the emergence of her strong sense of
3: self had outlasted some of the physical progress. Well, you know, it's interesting because there are also different levels. Like um, the fundamental sense of being able to derive satisfaction from the immediate moment, being able to feel that basic joy in being alive. And to have that independent of what I'm able to accomplish, that is, has completely remained. And at the same time, I am incredibly sick of being sick. I'm incredibly frustrated at not being able to accomplish things. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and it's also scary. I mean, there are lots of reasons at the moment to think that things will get better from where I am. But it's still very it's very scary after all this time to still be so sick, and so so part of what's interesting to me about it is is the way that those things can coexist like that like the drive is not gone, the desire is not gone, the frustration that goes with that is not gone, but it doesn't define me in the way that it used to, and um. And it's it's like I can go back and forth between them, like I can feel the uh, you know the frustration and the aggravation and all of that. And then I can step back and I can say, "Wow, like, look at the trees, you know, I can feel the sunshine on my skin. I can um, play with my dog." i can be with my husband and i can feel like i can take those blessings in in a really deep way and feel the joy that goes with them and the completeness that goes with them like it's not just oh that's really nice now let's go back to the frustration <laughs> it's like oh right oh it's like even if i'm in a lot of pain even if I'm really out of it, even if um, my physical state is really far from what I want it to be, like, wow, it is really a good thing being alive. And like i like i I feel these blessings all the way down.
2: It may have occurred to you that at this particular point in our history, We've all had some experience with chronic illness.
3: So, just in thinking about you know where we are right now with COVID and the experience that we're all going through, um, the thing that comes to my mind about what I've been through, um, you know, over the last—it's actually been 20 years since I very first started getting sick, which is kind of appalling <laughs> to think of, but. You know, thinking about like, you know, what have I learned from that experience that might be helpful to other people at this moment when like our whole world is being shaken up and we don't know what's going to happen, which is, you know, very similar to where I was. Like my whole world was being shaken up. All of the things that I had counted on were um, taken away and and the answers the answers weren't clear, you know in the same way that when you're working on a math problem, the answers aren't clear until you get there and, and you're kind of living in that uncertainty. And I think the thing, at least one of the things that came from that whole experience for me that I think is, might be valuable for others at, right now is the value of just being willing. Like entering that time of uncertainty where your your experience is loss, like you're in the middle of the loss and you don't know what's going to come. And being able to just say, um, okay, like I will let all of this stuff that I love, that I think of as part of my identity, that I really want in my life, I'll let it go and I'll let it go willingly and i'll not put my energy into resisting that or trying to hold on to it and trust that something will come of this experience that that this is leading me somewhere worth going even if it's not where i want to go and that that place of willingness um, creates the space that then allows you to create purpose and meaning from the experience. You know, when you're in the state of, no, 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 I don't want this, then all of your energy goes into holding on to what was, and you don't have any energy left to to create something new. Um, Yeah, so I I feel like that, I mean, that's something that I keep going back to in this experience and just saying, okay, okay, I'm willing, whatever it is, you know, whatever the new world will will be uh, with COVID in it, uh, I'm willing and I'm willing to lose whatever is asked of me.
2: And that is it for the show as usual, please let us know if you like this new thing that we've created. And if you are interested in Julie's story, she tells a much fuller and even more beautiful version of it in her memoir, Through the Shadowlands, A Science Writer's Odyssey into an Illness Science Doesn't Understand. Highly recommended. That's it, like I said. So please let us know what you think. And please take care of yourselves.